And so we come to the last of our Advent series, today looking at the pale horse, whose rider is death. Our readings come from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to the end, and John chapter 11. You are listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Path with your preacher Samuel S. Thorpe. May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Tell you what, it's been a heavy few weeks, hasn't it? We've managed to steer clear of tinsel and baubles to focus on some of the harsh realities of the world. Using the motifs of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, This Advent, we've reflected on the themes of conquest and living under oppression, of war and conflict, and of famine and scarce resources. As heavy as these topics might be, there's been a reason that we've taken the time to explore them. For the gospel is true, and the hope it offers us operates precisely in the reality of the human experience. Rather than wishing that we were elsewhere, we recognize that we find ourselves waiting in the world for the return of Christ, placing our faith in Jesus and longing for the fulfillment of his promises. For Advent is precisely about holding on to our faith in the darkness of the world as we wait for the coming of the light. And having pondered the theme of the first three horses, the white, the red, and the black, we turn today to consider the fourth. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature call out, Come! I looked, and there was a pale green horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed with him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, famine, pestilence, and by the wild animals of the earth. And so as we wait in the world, which is steeped with death, let us brace ourselves to consider what it means to live with faith as we confront our own mortality. And I say our own mortality as although the subject of death has an endless range of statistics which we could draw upon, how many die in conflict, how many die by famine or disease, or even by animal attacks. I mean, for instance, did you know that more people die each year from cattle stampedes than from shark attacks? But these statistics only serve to obscure the one reality which really matters. Every human being that has ever lived has died, and that includes Jesus. Moreover, just as they have all died, unless Christ returns first, we too shall die. It is inescapable. Yet all too often, everything we do is to try and avoid confronting that reality. Even when we're in the midst of our own grief, at the death of those near and dear to us. My greatest disappointment with a response to the pandemic 
has been a time where we've all had to respond to the risk of death. We as a nation have chosen to hide from it rather than to confront it. Retreating from one another physically, socially and emotionally, many have focused on novels, puzzles, working from home, hobbies and tidying through old belongings. And where has it left us? Another year older? Perhaps another year frailer? And for many in an increasingly lonely bubble of reality, where friendships have been less fully expressed than they were before. Indeed, people in our congregations and parishes have died in the last year or so, dying not necessarily of COVID, but following dementia or cancers of various kinds. And the clergy have done more than 80 funerals in this last year, and I could count on one hand those whose deaths were due to COVID. That's not to downplay COVID by any means, though we've been fortunate here in the Waveney Valley to have had relatively low rates. But death, like time, waits for no man. If COVID doesn't get you, something else will. That's the sense of the litany of deaths which come with the fourth horse of the apocalypse. If war doesn't get you, famine might, or maybe a disease. And if all of those miss, Perhaps wild animals will finish the job. And this rhymes with one of the petitions in the litany, which we all too rarely get to use in our worship, where one of the lines prays, From famine and disaster, from violence, murder, and dying unprepared, good Lord, deliver us. The question when it comes to dying is not so much, of what shall we die? but rather, how shall we die? What do we need in order to be prepared to die? I'd suggest that there are three characteristics which we should pursue. Acceptance, pragmatism, and peace. Acceptance is the simplest, though not necessarily the easiest. We will never be ready to die so long as in our innermost private thoughts at the hearts of who we are as human beings experiencing God's creation, we tell ourselves that death is something that happens to others. This most likely isn't a complete denial. We might intellectually recognize that someday we will die, but we allow ourselves the comfort of saying, not yet, not for a few more years, it's almost like a private wager we make with ourselves. And if we don't accept that one day we really will die, then it's a wager we're going to lose. And for the record, I'm preaching to myself here as much as to anyone else. But even at 29, with a long career and family life ahead of me, there's no guarantee that I'll make it to 30. Acceptance is for gentle, possibly repeated, relaxation of our claim to life, an acknowledgement, though not a desire, that we are mortal beings and shall die. As the scriptures say, we spring up like flowers and wither away, like fleeting shadows, they do not endure. The life of mortals is like grass, they flourish like a flower of a field, and when the wind blows over it, it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. 
In the context of that acceptance, we can be pragmatic and we can put our affairs in order. For each of us, this may well look different, but the basics remain the same. Have we written our wills and communicated what should happen with our possessions, our finances and other rights? Have we expressed what we would like to have happen at our funerals? Personally, I have a strong preference to be buried and for the gospel to be preached clearly. Yet our desire can never be assumed. They must always be communicated. There's few things sadder than when a committed Christian dies and when the next of kin decides, in the absence of clear direction, to have a simple non-religious service at the crematorium or sometimes not even a service at all. Equally sad, in a different way, is when the funeral becomes a source of tension and strife, where all manner of unpleasant accusations are cast against family members and friends. Old grudges can be revived, arguments about inheritance can turn into battles over who is paying for the funeral, and it can all become quite uncivilized indeed. You would hope that it wouldn't be like that, but trust me, you can ask any of the clergy, and they'll tell you that sometimes a funeral can be the catalyst for all manner of family drama. And it's here that pragmatism meets and blends into the third aspect, which I believe that we need as we prepare to die. Peace. Peace is the calmness which comes from personal resolutions. Have you made sure that you have said all of it you need to say. Do your loved ones know that you love them, that you appreciate that thing they did once? Or is there something where you've never quite had the right time to bring it up and discuss, which you would regret leaving unresolved? Are there things that you would like to make or create while you are able to, yet keep on not finding the time for? Each of these are about making peace with yourself for what you have done and what you feel you would like to do before you die. This peace is both personal and relational, taking care of our own hearts and the hearts of those around us, making sure that the relationships of those around you are in as good a state as you can help them to be. Perhaps you have people who are dependent upon you in different ways, who themselves are fearful of your death. How might you help them to prepare? Peace within your relationships will often center on offering and receiving forgiveness. In an ideal world, this would be possible, but some of us may find that there are people and relationships where the damage is just too deep and the patterns of behavior too entrenched to make much difference. The key to peace here is not so much the result, but being satisfied that you have tried and done what you can. Ultimately, though, peace requires something more. Prayerful faith. As the prayer book so beautifully says in the second collect for evening prayer, O God, from whom all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works do proceed, give unto thy servants that peace which the world cannot give, 
that both our hearts may be set to obey thy commandment, and also that we, by being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ our Saviour. Peace such as the world cannot give. True peace is found not in any efforts of our own, but in the free gift of God to which we must respond. This is the choice which we heard read for us in Deuteronomy. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him. Elsewhere, God says, I do not desire the death of anyone. Again, as surely as I live, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from their ways and live. Death is that which the gospel contends most strongly against, for death is the epitome of disaster, and as the wages of sin is the summary of all of it is opposed to the goodness of God. This is what we encountered in our gospel reading with the death of Lazarus. Here, Jesus, Son of God, steps wholly into the midst of human grief, weeping himself at the loss of a dear friend and sharing in the tears of Mary. Twice our gospel says that Jesus was greatly disturbed, just as each of us know the inner angst of grief. Again, the gospel confronts the reality of death with Martha's objection to taking away the stone that covered the grave. Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Lazarus truly was dead. Yet at the voice of Jesus, Lazarus come out, he was restored to life. Death transformed to life, grief restored to joy, and Jesus shown to have power over the greatest opposition to God. Indeed, on the cross, he himself tasted death and drank deeply of its bitter cup. He didn't just die, but he died for us for our sins, and to take in himself the fullness of the corruption of creation caused by sin. Having died for us, and like Lazarus, being buried in a tomb with a stone across the entrance, he was resurrected by the love of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit as a living promise, as surely as I live, that death does not have to be the end, and has become only a step on the way to eternal life. The gospel then operates in the thoroughly human, messy and difficult reality which we all experience. It does not flinch from evils and the disasters of life which we have looked at through the motifs of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Rather than hiding from the difficulties of conquest, war, famine and death, it points boldly towards the cross of Christ and says Jesus has won the victory for us. Jesus himself says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world 
you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Therefore, as we wait in the world, we wait with confidence. But just as Jesus has died for us and been resurrected as an ever-living promise of salvation, so too he is actually coming back for us as Lord of all creation. This is the heart of Advent, an active waiting, continuing our pilgrim way through the disasters of life, resolved not to live in fear of death, but to get on with the business of living our lives to the glory of the God who has promised us salvation. We may live in a time of darkness, but as we approach Christmas, we remember that we are the people who have seen a great light. We know that soon we shall see Christ, either by our death or when he comes again. So let us prepare not just for our death, but for our salvation, by accepting our mortality, by resolving to deal with practicalities, and by seeking the peace of God given to us in his Son, Jesus Christ. Let us be people of faith who dare to hope even in the face of difficulty. And may we share this hope with others, encouraging and supporting one another as we come forward together to receive the bread of life which shall preserve our bodies and soul unto everlasting life. Amen.